there's all sorts of arguments to be made to say, I'm not infringing your copyright, or I'm not infringing your trademark because of this difference and this difference. You may be right at the end, but guess what? To get to the end, with the result you want, you just spend a whole lot of greenbacks to get there, and you don't even know if you're going to be right. Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the Knucklehead Stephen, and I'm excited to have Andy Nelson, Florida's Law, all the way out in the great country of California, all the way out there on the left coast, all the way out there on the coastal side of the United States. I'm calling you from Texas. So those of you who are listening, Andy is uh, actually we've we've gone back and forth for the better part of a year. We've actually been connected in some social media groups for some time. Yeah, I was going to say connected for much longer than that. But uh, (laughs) for those of you who are listening, who are unfamiliar with his expertise, something that you do every single day, trust me, something that your business does, honestly, that that a business that you buy from, his his company and what he does, his expertise, it affects that. It's like one of those things I've heard people talk about the difference between and don't take this, you know, the wrong way. Like what's the difference between a parasite and a lawyer? Honestly, that joke couldn't be further from the truth. It's just because they operate they being lawyers, they operate in so many gray areas, but they do it so succinct, so well that quite frankly you don't you just don't have enough context as a business owner to dive into that area unless it absolutely affects you. So that's why they are completely necessary. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had with an entrepreneur is actually one of my mentors. He said, there's three things that you need as a business owner. You need an insurance agent, a banker, and an attorney. And it's amazing how quickly we can overlook the importance of an attorney. So Andy, I appreciate you taking some time uh, to chat with us you know, in the context of what you can screw up along the way, which is what Knucklehead Podcast is. Right. Uh, so appreciate you taking some time, man. How in the hell are you? Doing great, and I appreciate you having me on, Stephen. This is uh, I've been looking forward to a conversation, a longer conversation with you. So I really, really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, all right. So for those of you who are listening, who have ever had a conversation with an attorney, let's paint this picture here for a second. So if you're talking to an attorney, odds are either you're trying to collect some information for a friend, right? Like really, it's for, it's for a friend. I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> hey, what happens if this person's gotten in trouble? It, so the conversation is you you really don't want to reveal too much because you're not quite sure exactly what you're, you know, if if there's you're not in a court of law, so you're not you're not talking to that attorney for the first time and divulging a whole bunch of information. But at the same time, Andy, let's let's just be real for a second. There's a lot of resistance that people have in terms of talking to an attorney because they don't want to get an invoice for the for the expertise, and then on top of that. They just they don't they want, don't want to reveal a need and, and look ignorant. Do you think that that's true, or am I mischaracterizing the conversations that small business owners have with attorneys? Yeah, I think you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, one, of course, there's the never-ending you know stereotypes, <laughs> plural, you know, that are largely I think generated by one TV shows, uh, and then two, of course, the sensational. Uh, things that you know make the news that make you go, oh my god, can, how does somebody even come up with something so ridiculous? How to be an attorney? Blah blah blah. So all those things, you know, kind of create this air of separation. I think sometimes, and yeah, people think, okay, as soon as attorney says hello on the phone, uh, going to get a bill, <laughs> that sort of thing. And that's true with a lot of people. I mean, they, they, I guess the the ticket to actually getting any, you know some attorneys even on the phone is going to be paying something. Um, but not a lot of business lawyers, you know, they're they're going to build relationships that look and do that. And, and 
there are plenty of lawyers out there who will be happy to talk for 10, 15, 20 minutes, and they can learn a lot about someone's problem in that short period of time. But sure, I mean, we're all, we're a lot of seeking, or I guess, recognize a need for a lawyer is often reactionary. It's, it's a reaction to something, some other force that's happened, and often something bad. Um, so, of course, that can make uh, anybody really kind of resistant to open up. I think we're, I mean, a lot of us are resistant, you know, resistant to opening up about anything that's private or damaging or personal or what have you. Um, and then meeting somebody for the first time you don't know, who you may have an image of as being stuffy, stilted, you know, aloof, whatever, and talking to that person about it, it doesn't probably, it's not too appealing. So, no, not at all. Well, I mean, do you find that true? It, it, you deal with clients not necessarily just in uh, in California, right? Or is that is that primarily and solely where you practice your your, your law? Well, I'm licensed in California, um, which means I can practice throughout the state. That largely focuses on um, where I can appear in court. So when I do appear in court, it is in California courts. Rarely do I go out of the state. I sometimes get special permission to appear in, in other states. But other things I do, clients all over the place. The intellectual property counseling I do, that's not limited to people in California. As a matter of fact, some people are not even in this country. Um, so they can be in other places. There's times where it wouldn't be appropriate for me to you know, help somebody in another state with some, you know, local issue that involves, you know, a city ordinance. I mean, that just makes no, it doesn't make any practical sense, it doesn't make economic sense. Um, but, you know, so it's kind of a mixed bag in that regard. Yeah, I think that you you touch on two things that that really, I think, is is the essence of, of why it makes sense to have an attorney come on to Knucklehead Podcast, specifically as it relates to IP, intellectual property, just trademarks, copyrights, all those the terms that mean something somewhere that we recognize as in practice, but don't necessarily know how it applies to, to our business all the time. For instance, I, I worked for a, uh, a construction company back in the day. Like I couldn't believe that this, this guy, so he had insurance on everything. And, uh, and, you know, we were pouring concrete back in high school and um, we had some guys that worked with us that, you know, were, they just, they came from a, a, a different, you know, that different upbringing. So long story short is they made decisions not yeah. the same way that we did. And after work one day, uh, one of these guys actually broke into the uh, to the shop. You took a, a, like a bench and broke into the shop and stole a lot of the equipment. Actually, he was intoxicated. He, he wrecked the work truck. And the thing is, is the guy who owned the company thought he was he thought he was clear. Like he he had everything insured, or at least so he thought. Mm-hmm. And What's crazy is you have these qualifying events. I think you you had talked about it a little bit earlier about how you know the need for an attorney is largely reactionary, right? So if it's if these qualifying events triggered this this need to audit what you actually have and what you're paying for, I mean, he would have looked a little bit closer because there was special language in his insurance policy that didn't cover certain things, and it turns yeah. out he was out. I mean, obviously you're going to be out some money in that in that instance, but he was out a boatload of cash, and not only that, but a boatload of the tools that made his service actually work. So he had to go buy, it was just, it's a crazy situation. And I can think as an attorney, you probably run into that quite a bit with people that think that they're covered because they're putting, you know, little TMs next to their quirky phases, or, you know, they put a C when they actually don't have any of those things applied. Is that accurate? Is I mean, do you find that to be true quite a bit as a, as a small business owner? Sometimes people think they're protected when they're not. Uh- yeah, or or a lot of people just ignore it, don't even give it much much thought. But um, yeah, I run in this every single day. You know, people often don't come at me necessarily with questions; <laughs> they come at me with statements like, 
I've got this. I've got this. I'm totally protected here. I'm this and that. And I'm going, uh, <laughs> hold on, slow, slow down. Not even close, not even close. So I get it. I mean, it's, I mean, there's, I mean, we're flooded with info all the time. There's only so much we can absorb. And me too. I mean, like there's a lot of things outside of what I do that I probably would like to think I'm, I'm hip to or, or have working knowledge of, but man, every once in a while I go, oh, gee, I've been thinking that the whole time. Okay, let me just slide over into the right place here, and hopefully nobody's going to call me out on you know what I was thinking before. You know, if it's like a subject of marketing or something like that, I mean, it's just outside my can. I looked at other people to help me out with that sort of thing, but yeah, I run into every single day. You know, one of the worst ones, the worst if you want to call it that, is uh, you know people constantly mix up copyright and trademark. I mean, it, and I, it's going to always they're always going to be mixed up, um, but it happens a lot. And so people will say, "I have this, I have it." And they, and they think they're floating along safe, and they're not. We had a conversation last week about, you know, it's something that's going on with uh, with Knucklehead. And I, as I was talking to you about it, you're in a database. Like, you're you're actually typing it up. Where, where most people, when they're running a small business, they there is something that's unique about this. They have a differentiating value proposition that they bring to the market, whether it's something unique about their service or unique about their product. But it's difficult to put that in the context of actually being protected. And that's where a service like yours and somebody with the level of expertise that you have is significantly valuable. So think about all the times that, you know, you ran into these qualifying events or conversations where there was qualifying events. And let's back up maybe a step or two. And if you're that small business owner, at what point would they recognize, oh, geez, I actually need to reach out and be proactive and talk with somebody like you. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's a little bit blurry, but there's certainly plenty of information out there. There's good information out there. If people have the time, they can, you know, give themselves a, a sufficient education so they have a working knowledge of what a lot of these concepts are. And, you know, there's a danger, of course, of relying on things like in, on the internet, whether it's just inactive from the beginning or it's outdated or what have you. But there are some places, you know, maybe, you know, Forbes articles, and that's just one example. But um, those tend to be, I mean, if you look at something that's relatively current, you can get a good, you know, a listicle, right, on things you need to be concerned with. So people can have that good working knowledge and probably put it through the top of their problem funnel, if you will. And when they get down to the nitty gritty, that's probably the time, you know, to maybe reach out to a professional. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. Uh, it shouldn't take a whole lot of time. Like I said, I can, I can, you know, if I'm just having just an open-ended intellectual property conversation with somebody, you know, let's call it an, an audit or inventory or whatever, I can bang out a lot of value in 15, 20 minutes with somebody. You know, what are you doing? What do you got? What do you think you own? What are, you know, what are your ideas? And what, what do you claim? What do you think is yours? And I think we can pull all that out pretty quickly. You know, that might set the table for a further discussion. You know, sometimes it's okay. You know, you're, you don't need the help of an attorney for anything at this point. Kick that down the road four months or six months or whatever. And sometimes it's okay. We need to have a further discussion because you have a couple of holes here and your, your flanks may be exposed, something like that. So it's hard. It's a, you know, it's a matter of budget for sure. And priorities, but I wouldn't want everybody to think that talking to a, you know a business-minded attorney, whether it's intellectual property or an attorney that can help you choose the right entity to form. A lot of people just go to CPA for tax reasons and don't think about the legal ramifications of what entity they form. I get it. There's all these different things that you might want to at least have a consultation with an attorney about. And I don't want you to think it's going to be extraordinarily expensive. It should not be. There are plenty of business attorneys out there 
And it, it, it should be a consultation like that with, that provides some real value should probably have three figures. It should be three figures, maybe four figures if it's longer. But I mean, that's you tell, you're getting a couple hours in at that point. It should be less than that. And in the grand scheme of things as to what you get out of it and the kind of shield, the preemptive shields it puts around you, that is a good investment. So when you talk about the ramification, so to speak, and you think of an example of we don't necessarily need to, you know, we don't need to think of a material example that's going to create some, you know, some some issues or friction here. But the uh, the idea of of running a business where somebody was protected, they marketed a product. I'll give you a specific example: Peloton. All right, so Peloton. This is a specific example that you could probably speak very intelligently about. They oh, didn't so. own the license. They didn't own the license for the music that they were using. So the, you know, the instructors they have this, you know, video streaming device where everybody's on there and they're listening to the music in the background, and that for some reason they didn't own the license. I guess for the distribution of that, and they got hit with like a hundred twenty-five million dollar fine. Sure. So if we could take that scenario and then put it to Bob's Tire Shop down the street, you know, that has like some type of social media campaign where they want to market to the local community and they use, you know, a, a, a song in the background, or maybe there's somebody who's not skilled at editing and there's a, you know, a song playing in the background. What type of issues are we running into there? I mean, it's a crappy example, but it no, might, it's a good example. Yeah. Cause it's one that happens quite a bit and that's, you know, we don't think about this. I mean, if you go into a retail store, you know, somebody might just, you know, bring in their own radio and start playing music, you know, in the retail store that could oddly enough, you wouldn't think about it, but that would violate, uh, different artists' copyrights or licensing companies that have the rights to, to public performance of that music. It's it's a copyright violation. Could be a copyright violation. Um, so it's, yeah, a lot of things you just don't think of. You think, this is my, or wait a minute, I own this, I'm going back a little bit, I own the CD, you know, I can't play my own CD in my store kind of thing. You can play it for personal consumption. You might be able to play it with just a few friends around, but when you play it in a commercial setting, for a lot of folks, then we're getting into a different type of license. When you buy that CD, again, I'm using a bad example because I'm going back a little bit. Uh, you're buying that physical object, but buried within that physical object is a license on how you can actually use it. <laughs> All things, none of us think about that. You know, you used to buy video games back in the day with the shrink wrap on it, you know, not going to be a sticker on the outside, which says, as soon as you take off that shrink wrap, you're agreeing to the license that's in it. So, it's just, it's something that just doesn't, you know, I don't process that myself, you know, really, you know, consciously. Let me think about what's happening here, you know. But to your point, yeah, a lot of restaurants, for example, um, I've had this exact issue before. You know, restaurants will have live musicians come in and play. Live musicians play covers. Okay. Those covers they can do, but they're under license. And it's kind of what we call a mechanical license. They're allowed to do it. But the venue, where they're performing it has to have the appropriate license for all, all the songs they're going to play. So there are folks out there that work for these licensing agencies, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC. It's got to be the greatest job in the world, by the way. You just go to a restaurant, you know, and you sit and have a meal. You write down all the songs <laughs> that were played that night, check it against the license for that restaurant. Oh, two or three aren't on it. They don't usually don't go nuclear at that point. They usually send a nice letter saying, hey, you know, great music, love what you do. You have a license with us. But let's go ahead and upsell you to the next level because you know some of the songs on Friday night weren't within the license. You know, and I've, I've had that that exact issue before, and that happens all the time. I want that job at some point. So I want to get it. It's a great job. 
for those of you who are listening who are th- with those three agencies, uh, it, there is a, a willing participant out there in the great country of California known as Andy Nelson. So we'll provide his contact information afterwards. So no, I'm just kidding. All right. So what were those three agencies? Because I've heard of this before, but I also, you know, you all, it's like, it's like uh, the boogeyman or, yeah. you know, uh, the, the, what's his name? The Sasquatch. I've, I've never seen him before. I've heard about him, but, you know, I've never seen him before. So who are these agencies? Okay. ASCAP is probably the most famous one. ASCAP. Sure. BMI, B, Amazon Mike, I, and then CSAC, S-E-S-A-C. Those are the three. There might be more licensing agencies, but those are the three big ones out there. Those mostly deal with live performance um, and uh, playing music over speakers, that sort of thing. Syncing music to say like a commercial you want to create or whatever, that's not going to be covered by them. They may have those rights if you look, but you'll often have to figure out who the publisher is and who are the rights to actually synchronize that music to some, some kind of visual component. So it can be a challenge to actually go through these steps, but if you can do it, and sometimes it's just not for reason, you know, a thousand bucks or if you want to use like Bad to the Bone by George Thurgood, that's bucks. You don't see, I mean, you probably see it more commercials, but it's expensive, um, you know, and there's high demand for it. Um, those, you know, those are individual negotiations, but it, the last thing you want to do is get caught because then you're looking at a copyright lawsuit and uh, the potential uh, exposure there, it, it can be extremely high. And I've been you know, involved in any number of copyright lawsuits over the years. Uh, it's not fun. I mean, I personally have not been, but I'm representing people on both sides uh, of the minute. It's just, it's just not it's just not good practice. Sometimes people do sneak by every day. Don't get me wrong. Um, that's what I was going to ask you about. And that's, that's almost what I wanted to, to wrap with is, is so, all right, there's, there's something that you've told me before and mm-hmm. it's not just, it's not just you, you've, you know, there's other, there's other folks that this is applicable to you. You talk about uh, whether or not something's in the law, right. And the perception of the law in, in practice there's there's evidence and then the law. I I can't remember exactly how you said it, but the way I categorized it, I was like, oh, okay, if the evidence points to you know reinforcing you, and then the law also reinforces whatever your position is. Those are those are two different things that you can evaluate as a as a business owner whether or not whatever you're trying to put forth makes any sense whatsoever. Now that's my knuckle dragon stupid you know hit upside the head a whole bunch of times interpretation of it. Yeah, I think that that's, those are very helpful ways to categorize whether or not a case actually even makes sense to move forward on. And, and so what I mean by that is if you're doing something in your business that you feel like somebody else is replicating, first of all, cool. But then second of all, think about, you know, think about it in the context of those two categories that I just that, that I just thought of. Is that stupid of me to think that way or help people understand how they would best view whether or not they're actually moving forward with a case on something? Well, yeah, I'll see if I hope I don't butcher what you're asking uh, yeah. too poorly, but um I think what I might have mentioned to you was, yeah, you know, I worked with a lot of apparel companies over the years who had art departments, sophisticated art departments that they use, you know, they use a lot of in-house artists, they use a lot of independent contractors. They had systems for vetting artwork, right? Because in graphic art, that sort of thing, there is a lot of infringement going on all the time because a lot of myths float around that, hey, you know, if it just changes by 10, 50 percent, we're in the clear and this and that. And people up top know that's not true. I mean, those are complete myths. They, there's no basis whatsoever. I don't know where they come from, but they continue to persist and the percentage just change, changes. But in all those years with these big, I'm talking big companies too, who have these sophisticated arguments, I could count I, either on one, maybe two at most, how many times over the years that the art department came to us in advance and said, hey, 
we want to use this graphic. Do you think we're going to be in trouble? And when they did that, we knew they knew there was a problem, okay? Because some of the other things got through. Some of the other things got through. And so come to us and we're like, okay. There's all sorts of arguments, arguments to be made to say, I'm not infringing your copyright. I'm not infringing your trademark because of this difference and this difference and this difference. But guess what? If you're, if you're making those arguments, you're probably wrapped up in some sort of dispute at that point. Do you really want to be? You may be right at the end, but guess what? To get to the end with the, the result you want, you just spend a whole lot of greenbacks to get there, and you don't even know if you're going to be right. So, you know, so many times I said, like, why do you want to do that? You know, I, I get it. You're edgy. I mean, I mean, look, companies that are edgy do that sort of thing. So you're not going to talk about it. They don't try to talk. I just tell them what the options are and what the potential problems might be, and they're going to do what they're going to do. Um, but and I'm dealing with one right now. I'd say, and I can't tell you the details of it, but it's. You know, there's a very popular product out there, and somebody wants to be on this side of it, just right here. And legally, probably okay. But guess what? This is an aggressive party. And so, you know, if they come after us, there's going to be a lot of effort to prove we're quote-unquote right, whatever that means. So, you know, my my, my advice maybe will be, we got to depart. You know, I, it's smarter to depart. You don't even want to, you want to build a business, you want to generate revenue, market, you don't want to run into this bulldozer and deal with that. I don't think it's that important. From what you're telling me, business owner, it's not that important. You can depart even further and you're going to be successful. So why don't we just do that? <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I like that. I like the uh, the way that you broke that down. There's there's concrete, tangible, real world examples of what it is that you're that you're discussing. And you can draw from your past experience to say, hey, listen, if, unless you want to look like a knucklehead, um, it, just just approach with caution here. And uh, and I like the way that you had said, <laughs> by the time that those art departments come to you, there's there was already a qualifying event. The reason why they're getting in touch with you is because they know that, hey, listen, we got our hand caught in the cookie jar over here. So at least their processing system revealed that to you, which is which is fantastic. So well, I mean, let me take a quick one if you got two seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a good one. Major company, big surf company, <laughs> surf apparel. They sold a bikini. Okay, on the image on the bottom on the back, what it was a it was kind of abstract art, but it was an image. It was an image of this guy with this curly, free flowing hair, and the above of this. Uh, and I may I posted this before. People have seen it. Uh, it says, "Baby, I love your waves." The image was Peter Frampton. And the model of the, the swimsuit, the, you know, the product model was called the Frampton. That made it through the art department and sold. <laughs> there was no clearance whatsoever. So there are about four or five intellectual property violations on that one thing. There were trademark violations, copyright violations, publicity violations. I mean, it was, it was bad, bad, bad all the way around. Um, that never got through us <laughs> first. It went right out the door. And we would have, you know, well, again, we wouldn't tell them what to do. We would have said, this is going to be bad if you get caught, you know, just telling you. Even compliance. I mean, that, that kind of thing happens every day with even a big business, a sophisticated business. So you can imagine what happens when smaller businesses don't have those other resources. We step on it from time to time. I'll just put it to you that way. So anything else that you want to leave these folks with? I love that that last story. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? And in what context uh, do they need to reach out to uh, your law firm? Do they email? Do they connect with you on social? Tell people, tell these people how to get in touch with you, Andy. Yeah, I mean, social is good for me. I mean, a lot of people, I get contacted all different ways and I see them all. 
Um, but uh, but I do like, uh, gosh, Facebook, Instagram is good for me. A Nelson 100, A Nelson 100 is me on Instagram. Uh, a R Nelson, I believe, is me on Facebook. But hey, my email address, A Nelson at FortisLaw.com. F O R T I S L A W.com. Fortis. Is there is there something significant there? Yeah, it's. I mean, I can't. I didn't. I didn't coin it myself. Uh, I joined this firm a couple of years back. Uh, Fortis is. It's a Latin word which means either you know strength or fortitude. Something you know. Probably a couple of different you know meanings along that way. So in other words, strength. <laughs> Let's keep. I like it. I like it. I like it, Wayne. I appreciate you taking some time and also just sharing some of what you see. I know that uh, uh, we've ran into, we've seen each other at a few conferences before. I know that yeah. just walking around the conference floor, uh, there's nothing like walking over the conference floor. And I can imagine just how you interpret all the violations that you're just sitting there. And it's it's got to be a lot of fun knowing that there's opportunity, but also that the lens in which you look at that opportunity is it's filtered with yeah, I mean, context matters. Are you going to be able to? Do you really want to fight? Do you really want to bark up that tree? I, I like how you you uh, you dispel a lot of the myths traditionally that that maybe some of the TV shows perpetuate yeah. about attorneys. So anyway, I'll just put it to you that way. Anything uh, else? Oh, you looking like you got something? Yeah, say? one thing I will say. So I remember what, my first year of law school when I was in contract. I remember the professor said most things about contract law you can answer by asking yourself, what would grandma say about this situation? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's largely true. I would expand uh, upon that and say, most things that you encounter probably can be answered by asking what grandma would say about the situation. So whatever you're doing in business, you know, uh, gosh, if I'm, in, you know, if I'm contracting with another party, you know, should I, if I didn't put this in my written contract, is it still that we agreed to this and that? Well, grandma would say, why'd you put it in writing? You know, I mean, shouldn't it all be in writing? I mean, that's largely true. You know, if you have a written contract, it's hard to say that there are agreements, you know, outside of that written document. It's not impossible, but yeah, it should probably be in that written contract. That's probably what grandma would say about that thing too. So you can answer, you can skip the lawyer at first and just, uh, you know, you have grandma here on your shoulder. You can ask her. And then if you're still not sure, maybe then go to the lawyer at that point. I love it. I love it. So, so Andy, I appreciate that. That's very practical advice. That's what we bring. Yeah, that's what we bring every single week here on Knucklehead is we bring something tangible, honestly, something that somebody else has screwed up along the way. Those are lessons learned. Those are great, valuable, tangible examples that people can use moving forward. So those of you who are listening, A. Nelson at FortisLaw.com is his email address. And he just told you how to get in touch with him a couple different ways over on Instagram, Facebook. And if you have any questions, obviously, get in touch with us. We'll, we'll help you get in touch with him. So anyway, Andy, we appreciate you, man. Don't be a bait about the process for those of you who are listening. New episodes coming at you every Tuesday. Andy, appreciate your time, buddy. Have a good rest of the day. Okay? Hey, thanks for the time. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You bet. <laughs>